Hello and welcome to Ferris Ford. I'm your host, Dave Eisler. Today we're going to be talking with two faculty members who have been leaders on campus in terms of establishing our wastewater testing program as a part of our detection of COVID-19 viruses on our campus. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Beth Zimmer and Dr. Sky Pike. Beth's good to have you with us. Thank you. Guy, great to have you also. Thank you. Now, you're both in the biology department, but let's just let's just take a moment and why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience and uh, Mary, Mary Beth, why don't you go first? Um, yep, I arrived in uh, 2007. I started out as a assistant professor and I worked my way up to full professor. Um, and now I'm more recent, the chair of the department. And um, I think that's about all you need to know at this point. Well, and we're, we're very grateful for the work that you lead at Ferris. How many faculty are there in the biology department? Uh, right now, there are 15, I believe, full-time faculty. Um, we have seven or eight uh, adjunct faculty and a couple of uh, staff. And Sky, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I came, um, I'm actually from Michigan here, but I bounced back and forth between Texas and Michigan a few times. Uh, I came to Ferris in January 2017 as an adjunct professor and then uh, the position in the Shimatsu Core Lab opened up for manager. Um, and then I was uh, taken, I applied for, and was accepted as the tenure track professor, assistant professor um, in biological sciences. And I'm now the director of the Shimatsu Core Lab for the last, I guess I'm in my third year. Time flies, I can't, I lose track. And talk a little bit about what the Shimatsu Lab is, if you would. So the Shimatsu Core Lab is a, is a lab of um, scientific instruments that are utilized by faculty from across the campus. Uh, primarily we get faculty from the physical sciences and biological sciences here at in, um, the College of Arts and Sciences and Education. We do have a lot of faculty also that come from the College of Pharmacy. Um, they're another big user of the lab. We've had people as well come from College of Engineering Technology um, in different places across the, the campus that use our instruments in the lab to support their research or to support their teaching um, of students in, uh, in their classes. And Beth, I know you can remember when we dedicated this lab. I do. <laughs> and we were fortunate to receive a gift uh, from the Shimatsu Corporation and it really expanded our research capabilities at Ferris. It did. I mean, without this facility, there, we would not even be able to be doing what we're doing today, so. So let's talk a little bit about wastewater testing. What is it? So wastewater testing is basically taking sewage, our, our, our combined um, efforts of number two <laughs> and taking samples of that from different sites um, that cover different geographical areas and looking for signs of, in this case, a pathology, the pathology being the COVID-19 virus that is shed from people who have um, been infected by the virus. And in that way, we can monitor the virus, meaning we can track the virus. We can also mitigate 
our response to the virus, meaning we can manage and hopefully um, control the spread and help people that are infected get treatment if needed. Um, because oftentimes, the, at least with COVID-19, we can see the virus five to 10 days before a person is, knows they have it, has symptoms, we can see that five to 10 days before in the wastewater. So they're actually shedding virus, people shed virus into their, into their feces, into their poop before they actually show symptoms. Well, how fascinating. Now, now Beth, how did, this, how did this happen? How did this come together? Um, so it was kind of a, um, it was two tracks happening at the same time. So Jim Bachmeyer, and I'm not sure how he heard about this, but he, he got wind that there were several universities um, across Michigan that were beginning to investigate looking at uh, wastewater detection of SARS-CoV-2. Um, so this happened, uh, there was an email that was sent out uh, by Jim to several people across the university looking to see if we had the ability to do this on campus. Um, Ironically, at the very same time, Sky was in a meeting with the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, which is called Michigan Eagle. And the consortium that he works with, uh, with Michigan Eagle, they were actually just got a grant from the state to do this. So he was meeting with them. Jim was inquiring through email chains across the university. And it came across my inbox and I said, why, of course, we are looking at that right now. And so I, I connected um, Sky with several people across the university. Um, and this was on Wednesday before students were to come back a week before, so a week and a couple of days. Um, and at this time, I don't know if you remember kind of the sequence of the SARS-CoV in the state, but we kind of peaked early in April um, we had about 1,500 cases a day. And by June, that was down to about 200 cases a day, like a seven-day average. And they were starting to creep back up over the summer. And as school was starting to open, you know, it went from 200 at the beginning of summer, and we had about 700 or 800 cases across the state, and we could see that it was on the rise. And so a lot of universities were getting you know, a little bit nervous about opening up a university where we bring a lot of people together. And so the combination of Sky already meeting with the Michigan Eagle and Jim inquiring about it. Um, we already had a meeting with District Health 10, already is set up for the next day on the Thursday. Um, we brought in officials from university, um, physical plant, um, the Shimatsu, safety officers. We brought in community members from Big Rapids community, um, District Health 10. I'm probably leaving out some people. Jim Bachmeyer was there. And so we had a meeting on Thursday to discuss whether we could do this at Ferris. We decided within an hour and a half that we could do this. And Friday, we started collecting samples. And we, it was fast. We developed found a lab on Saturday. We met with safety officers on the weekend and we just started running. That's, that's a great story. So what kind of technology does this use, Guy? What, how, how is this done? So we use a, a technology called polymerase chain reaction. This is basically a copy machine for DNA. 
And uh, we do a little trick because the virus that we're looking at is an RNA virus. We actually convert the RNA into a DNA. And then we use this copy machine called polymerase chain reaction or PCR to amplify this DNA out. And we can actually see um, the DNA being amplified and we can quantify how much of that virus is there because we can quantify the RNA converted to a DNA using this PCR instrumentation. We actually have, um, we originally started out with a, I guess you might call it a more primitive form. It was not as sensitive, um, was more prone to inhibition, um, but through the, uh, the Michigan Eagle, we were able to obtain a more sensitive instrument that, of, of the, excuse me, a more sensitive PCR instrument that is able to detect the better the amounts of virus in our wastewater. Wow, and so how often do we sample? So right now we are sampling from Ferris on, and we've done this all fall on Mondays and Thursday mornings. And there are 12 different sites that we've been regularly sampling from across this, this, the campus. And then on Wednesday, the city collects samples from several different apartment complexes, which our students live in. And then also from the hospital and the wastewater treatment plant. Wow, and, and I know one of the things that, that, that we struggled with for a while was, was the positivity, positive cases in off-campus housing. And I think the cooperation of apartment owners with us has really helped significantly in controlling the spread of, of, of COVID here. We, we have, the, the cooperation with the apartment complex managers has been, been very good. Um, I don't know the uh, other, uh, Jim Bachmeyer and others have probably have interacted more with them, but I know that for one apartment manager, she requested that I send her, or we send her weekly information about how much of the COVID-19 virus was coming from the, the sewage, the wastewater from her complexes. Wow, and so how has this evolved? Uh, you started in three days. Has this changed over, over the semester or months that you've been doing this? Uh, I kind of likened it to the, the Iron Man movie that I think is the last one where he's getting his new beta suit and as he's fighting the bad guys, he's, it's all coming together. He's got one piece coming on his arm and one piece coming on his leg and he's kind of flying around trying to figure out how to make things work. And as you know, he's somehow fighting the bad guys off but at the same time, he's trying to figure out his suit. That's been this whole process the whole way through. Things have just been flying together and coming on and we've been managing to get the data out but it has been a process. As I mentioned before, we switched from this more um, less sensitive method called qPCR to the more sensitive method of digital PCR. We have switched from making, um, from getting our samples with a grab sample, which is like just going and taking uh, from the manhole cover, just taking one sample out and, and looking at that, it's like a Photoshop of that very second of the sewage going through the pipe to what's called auto samplers, where we use that auto sampler will take a little bit of a sample every so many minutes. And then our, uh, our physical plant plumbers will come in the morning and they pick that up. And that's like a, a movie of the day of all the shots. Yeah, one other thing we did is we, we initially start, uh, when we thought of this, we would take daily samples. 
We thought we would get a really good picture if we could take a sample every single day. Um, and I think we did that for maybe a week or two and we realized right away that we, there was no way we could keep up. Um, the plumbers couldn't keep up, we couldn't keep up. There was just too many samples. And so we looked at across other states. Um, Arizona, I think was one of the key states that actually really took off and running uh, in the US. And so they were taking samples uh, two times a week. And again, um, Sky was working with the Michigan Consortium. And so I think the Michigan, was it correct? Are you correct that Michigan Consortium yes. recommended two times a week? And so we went with that two times a week. Um, well, they, they were actually recommending only once a week, but we felt to cover the campus adequately, we should do twice a week. And, and I, can, I can remember when we got the auto samplers because th those were delayed because of the hurricane, as I recall. And so we had to wait until the weather improved to be able to get those. We, we actually got the auto samplers and the new digital PCR all the same week. So we started, we, in one week, we switched from grab samples with a, the old less sensitive qPCR to all auto samplers and the more sensitive digital PCR. And, and that was the overall part of something else that improved our efficiency of processing our samples, as well as getting new equipment. Um, uh, we have now have two more centrifuges that we needed, as well as two more what's called thermocyclers or PCR machines that we're able to utilize. So our efficiency has gone from about a total time of over closer to 48 hours now to be able to get the data between um, two, from the time of sampling to the time we get the actual data to anywhere from 12 to 36 hours, depending on if we'd have to take a night in between or not. And, and I think we ought to say that um, the people that are actually doing the samples, mm -hmm. it's not Sky and me, it's no. our students. So mm -hmm. our undergraduate students. So we started out with two or three, and now we have a whole cohort so that we can actually cycle through the students. Um, so we have more students that have the abilities um, because if one of them gets sick, right, and we were running into this, we or they problem. were quarantined, um, we had to fill in. And so actually having the manpower to do this was also a trouble at the beginning. Um, but it is, we are the, probably one of the very few universities that are, this whole project is being run by undergraduate students. Um, most other places they have graduate students and postdocs, technicians. Our, we have impressive students here who, these, these undergraduate students um, are literally doing graduate level work while they're working in the, these labs and doing these samples. It's, it's, they're amazing students. And that's one of the advantages of, of science at Ferris, which is as an undergraduate, you get to do, do the kind of research that at many institutions, you'd never have the chance until you were a graduate student. That is correct. And that gives our students so many opportunities in, to get into industry and to get into, if they have the, the inclination to go into future studies in graduate school to do that. Um, it, it takes our students from, you know, being maybe the middle of the list to being the top of the list, that experience. Well, and, I, and I love the fact that you've made this a learning project. I, that's, you know, that's just, that's what universities are about. You know, we all want to be safe, but you, you made this an opportunity for students to learn how to use this sophisticated equipment and use it in a real life setting. Yes. And we've even had students have told me and said that have come on, they said, 
Well, now what we've learned in class makes so much more sense that because we're actually doing for something that counts for something that's real. Well, and I think the, the piece that goes with this is once you identify a building where there are, there are our samples, then we direct our testing to those buildings so that we can, we can get to those students sooner. So it allows us to focus our testing right where the need is. And that's been, I think, a major factor in the fact that the Ferris State has stayed open. We're teaching face-to-face -face classes and, and the, the infection levels on campus are very low. Yeah, and it also has, um, there, were, there were a couple of times when the, the testing committee, um, there was an area in campus, I don't know if it was North Hall or somewhere, and the levels were high. And they were thinking about, I'm, we're gonna go in and test that, that dorm. And they had already quarantined several of those students. Um, and then we ran a sample and the levels were already going down. That was, actually, so, that was actually Kramer Hall that that Kramer happened Hall. And so we were able to save resources by not having to go in and test those students. because We already knew that we had quarantined the people that were positive in those dorms. So the wastewater treat has been able to direct the, the clinical testing in both the positive direction of where to go but also the negative sense where not to go. And to, to focus the testing, it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous story. And so are, are there any next steps in this process? Uh, what, what, what's next for, for, for wastewater testing? So right now we're working with Michigan Eagle and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to track, to uh, be part of the tracking of the new variants into the state of Michigan for the the SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, the COVID-19 virus. Um, we are working um, the consortium, this Michigan consortium, um, which includes every public university in the state of Michigan except for two, as well as many private universities and health departments, is working under the Joan Rose Lab at Michigan State University and looking for funds to continue researching this relatively new a methodology because we're still exploring what it can do and how it can help us with public health and who knows what else can be found that it might help with. So we're looking at to be part of this, this blooming field, to be on the cutting edge of this blooming field here at Ferris um, in, in partnership with the academic communities across the state, scientific communities across the state and figuring out where we can go with this in the future and where the funds, you know, getting the funds to be able to do that as well. Well, I think that one of the things that this pandemic has done is it's really brought people together to collaborate. And, you know, we all know stories of how people are collaborating across campus, but I think the part that's unique about your story is you're collaborating across the state. And I think that's, that's really significant, people working together to keep people safe. It is, it is very much so. And so you can see in the future beyond COVID that there's a value and an importance in this as a developing field in terms of identifying viruses like this. Yes, yes. In fact, the field itself has really only come to be in any real sense since about 2012. Mm -hmm. And so we're only about eight or nine years into this field right now. And so the there's so much unknown and new that we're discovering, not only about the virus, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but also about this field of wastewater testing itself. 
and how it can help public health. Um, Dr. Cliff Franklin, who has been one of our other faculty members that has helped us greatly, he's been interested actually, for instance, testing estrogen levels in wastewater um, and how that might affect environment. How does it go through the wastewater treatment plant? Is it broken down? So there's so much, there's so much potential in this testing that we're just starting to scratch the surface. And I think it's so awesome that we are at Ferris are on the on the cutting edge here. And we're with our our fellow academics across the state and across the world really that are now beginning to look into this. This truly is a real life science experiment, isn't it? It is. It is. And I'm 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 very pleased that I mean, we've got, I believe we got eight or nine students down here now working in the lab and just to see them blossoming as scientists in this real life world experiment is, is, is a joy for me as a professor and as a scientist. And when you think about the health benefits, because right now, you know, 50% of our students are taking some sort of face-to-face -face experience in terms of class and our positive le levels on campus are extraordinarily low, uh, less than 0.5% in our testing and only one or two cases in the last two weeks. So I think the work that you're doing is working and it, it's just, it's fabulous to see how you've helped make our campus safer for students and for the people who work here. Well, we're, I, for myself, I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. I'm glad to keep this campus open. I know that when Jim Bachmeyer first came, that was one of the first things out of his mouth was we want to keep this campus open for the fall of, for actually the 2020-2021 school year. And um, if we can play a minor role or any role in doing that, I, I, I for myself, I'm glad to be part of that. Well, I think you played a major role would be the piece I would say. And, you know, with COVID, it seems like every three months, everything changes. So we're not going to we're not going to rest on our laurels at this point, but as a result of your efforts, the students are safe, faculty and staff are safe. So Beth and Sky, I wanna thank you so much for the work you're doing at Ferris. And you know, I look forward to hearing more about this work and uh, maybe you come back and share the next steps with us down the road. But Beth, thanks for joining us today. Yep, thank you. Sky, thank you for joining us. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. And, and I know there are other colleagues involved with this. I just wanna extend my thanks to everyone, all the faculty and staff and students who worked on this. Thank you for keeping our campus safe. We're, we're all in your debt. Thank you. Thank you. This is Ferris Ford and I'm your host, Dave Eisler. I hope you'll join me again next time for our next program. Thanks so much for joining us today.